this morning is from James 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Do they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Your adulterous people, don't you know, that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is, why, that is what Scripture says. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Boasting about tomorrow. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. Spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while, and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. This is the word of the Lord. So James uses a very simple, it's almost like a catchphrase really, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And I've been singing that line all through this week because Anita a while ago wrote a very beautiful chant, a very particular, it's not yours. Oh, oh, well it's lovely, you sang it anyway, it's from the Zimbabwe which is very uh, appropriate, so thinking about the way in which African Christians uh, are very much part of the mission in our world, as we'll be hearing later on from, uh, from Jan and Rich. But, so let's just listen to this and close our eyes, perhaps. We're going to sing it a little later on in the service. Humble yourself before 
the Lord, He will lift you up. Humble yourself before the Lord, He will lift you up. He will lift you up. He will lift you up. Humble yourself before the Lord, He will lift you up. Humble yourself before the Lord, He will lift you up. Humble yourself before the Lord, He will lift you up. He before you now in submission to your word, thankful that the promise is that you will indeed lift us up, you will raise us and strengthen us and equip us to be kingdom builders in this life. May our ears and hearts be open to your word and that we might act in love as a result of listening and hearing and doing. Amen. Thanks, Anita. Thank you. Oh, in this well. What's really a message in a moment? Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And I want to focus on that this morning. And I was inspired by a quote from John Piper, 20th century theologian, who wrote this. Every good thing in the Christian life grows in the soil of humility. Without humility, every virtue and every grace withers. That's why Calvin said humility is first, second, and third in the Christian faith. John Calvin, that great reformer, knew what God's Grace was about in abundance. He spent his whole life writing about it. But it's humility that unlocks that grace. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. I was thinking it's very similar, really, uh, in the physical sense, what's happening in the spiritual realm as well, to what happens when uh, the soil that we prepare for growing vegetables in is worked and invested in. And uh, the, the challenge that Sean and I had was to find a right in our garden. There was a very bare area of earth which hadn't had any enrichment in it whatsoever. It just had some dogwood planted in it before. We cut those down with Sean's great ideas. Clear that area, Joan. We're going to plant vegetables this season. Okay. So, listening to Gardener's World and knowing how much organic compost and organic matter needed to be dug in, and then compost dug in as well, and anything else that will make it grow, 
make things grow. So I got lots of bags of this stuff and the organic matter and spent ages and quite a bit of money putting that into the soil. And, of course, the wonderful thing is now we're seeing things like peas and beans and all sorts of carrots and things growing in there, which we're now enjoying and able to share as well. It was the investment in that soil that made it possible for the harvest to be reaped. We all know that. It's an obvious lesson from nature. But it's true in many other ways. When I think of the amount invested in building for life that you people have given over £500,000 to that project. And the chairs that are coming in now, I, I think we're over a hundred chairs have been bought, which I'm so grateful for. We've just got another 80 or so to come by the end of next week, which would be great. People would like to have a chair to sit on. Um, but the investment that there is being placed into something that in years and generations to come will reap a great harvest is the most significant part of what we are doing. Because most of us won't be around to see what that harvest will be. We'll taste something of the first fruits of it, but there's plenty more in the long term. When we give regularly and in a planned way to our general fund, when we make those commitments week by week, month by month, those decisions about what we set up our direct debits for, standing orders rather, we're investing in the life of God's kingdom. So there will be a harvest in the future and in the present. Soil matters, therefore. And John Piper says, everything, good thing in the Christian life, grows in the soil of humility. We know from the parables of the sower, for example, it's the seed that fell into good soil which produces the greatest crop. In the parable of the growing seed, Jesus in Mark 4 is described as a man going out to sow a seed. He just puts it in the soil and he says he sleeps, go to the bed at night and he sleeps and in the daytime he walks around. He doesn't know anything more than that. All he knows is that the seed starts to grow and sprout. And interestingly, he uses this word for the earth that translates all by itself, the earth produces this seed. And in the Greek, the word is translated as automatic earth. It sort of like does it by itself. It's amazing how the earth, the soil, does its work for God through his grace and his power is making it happen. So God does the growing of all good things in our lives. But it is within our power to make choices that will enrich the soil of our lives. Now James is urging his fellow Christians to invest in cultivating the value or virtue of humility. And he quotes Proverbs 3, verse 34, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He's recalling Jesus' teaching. Do you remember how the disciples came to him and said, who is the greatest of us? You know, who will be the greatest in heaven? And he sets before them this little child. The hands of Jesus, the example of Jesus when he takes the towel, washes the disciples' feet, and he takes the bread and breaks it. 
as we come before God in humility, with a prayer of humble access, and seek to place our hands simply and openly before him for communion, that he might place his grace, his gifts of grace in our hands, that we might feed on his life. Jesus is teaching us and inviting us to enter into that dynamic of humility being the soil in which we can receive grace. There was a very public example of humility in uh, last year's London Marathon. Do you remember this, uh, the time when uh, Matthew Rees stopped? He was a, a Swansea Harrier, and he stopped and helped a guy, uh, David Wythe, his name was, and just sacrificed his own personal time, his own desire to cross the line, all the training that he'd done, he just sort of, I'm going to help this guy across the line. We've got a little clip of the interview with both those people afterwards. So earlier on in the race, my car seized up and I was in a lot of pain for, for the race. So for me, most of the race was, I need to get to the finish, I need to just complete this marathon, that's my accomplishment today. And then when I saw David struggling, it was the same thing for him. He needed to make that finish line as well. So it just seemed, it seemed the perfect ending to my race as well, just to help him across. And yeah, David was, he was telling me to go on, but I, was, I, was, I just wanted to make sure that he did get to that finish line. I didn't want him to be taken to the side or, or not make the end. You, Thank you. you both I'm make... so grateful because... <laughs> go, I, go I, I'm just, just, yeah, I, I can't say how grateful I am to Matthew because you, you say that, Matthew, that, that others wouldn't stop. And I'm sure you're right. There, there may have been others, but, you know... You persisted, and I told you to go, and you still didn't. So, you know, just no, no worries, such man. a You're making me cry. <laughs> uh, it is humbling, isn't it, to to see that happen? The signs of humility, and that's all over things like the London Marathon. But from that interview, do you remember the words that Matthew Rees was saying? He needs to cross that line as well. And he said, it was a perfect ending to my race as well. So in other words, he felt a sense of being lifted up, of being fulfilled, probably more than he would have done had he just done a decent time. And all the publicity that he had, Claire Balding, Say, oh, you're making me cry. I mean, the nation was saying, yeah, this guy has done something very special. And he was exalted. He was lifted up for a moment. God does amazing things as the culture of humility begins to grow in an organization, in a football team, to be a little bit topical. The culture of the England team has changed, hasn't it? And there's a degree of humility in Gareth Southgate's approach to things. A sense of the culture of humility in a church or a community or a nation. The quality of what grows out of it depends on the quality of the culture. And if the culture is healthy, then good things will follow. So James reminds us to start with looking in the mirror of who we are as people, as he did earlier on in his letter. 
to ask the question, how could we cultivate the culture of humility in our church, in our workplace, in our nation? Let's be practical for a few moments. And in verses 7 to 9, he actually lists sort of four action points that we can put on our to-do list if we're going to mark as top priority creating this culture of king of the kingdom through the soil of humility. And the first thing he says is to submit to God. Submit to God. Recognize that Jesus is Lord of all in our working, in our waking, in our finances, in our property, in our time. Everything submitted to God. Secondly, he says, resist the devil. Now, you may not think that I go to the gym, but I do occasionally, and it makes it possible for me to retain a little bit of health and strength uh, as I go through. It certainly helps with the gardening. I can tell you I can do more digging now than I used to do if I hadn't been. But the exercises that I do, some of them are called resistance exercises. You know, the chest press, you do this, and then the... I won't do them all in front of you. So, But it's those things that build strength are down to resistance. Again, in the physical realm, we see the spiritual realm being paralleled. And I've found, and I guess you will have found too, that as we resist the temptations, the things that come our way every day that we can't help happening, we will begin to get stronger in overcoming those things over time. Come near to God, he says. That's why worship, this decision to come to worship, to come to God in prayer, to be able to come to God in our hearts when we're walking along, taking the dog for a walk, whatever it might be. We come to God. We come to God in our anxieties. We come to God with our needs. Come near to God and he will come near to you. And fourthly, wash your hearts, purify, grieve, mourn. In other words, repent. There's no greater way of using the scriptures to repent than using Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, David, a great king of the Israelite people, recognizes how far he's fallen, how he wasn't resisting the devil as he walked along the top of his roof, and he just happened to look down and see this beautiful woman taking her clothes off, having a bath. And that was the start of that slide into adultery and murder of her husband. I wonder whether if he had practiced that discipline of resisting and strengthened himself to glimpse down there and then turn away and walk inside and not even go down there. He would have been in a better place and he may have been a greater king. But he had to go through that huge act of repentance when Nathan the prophet comes and says to him, you are that man. And the story that he told about the person who stole a little lamb. And he grieved. He mourned, he prayed, Lord, have mercy on me, purify my heart. He speaks of the Lord who washes him whiter than snow. Read Psalm 51, a tremendous act of repentance. 
and God forgives him and restores him, but there are consequences. And whether we're guilty of falling into that trap of pornography, which is so huge that 79% of men and a little fewer women fall into all the time in this country, are seeing, viewing pornography online or whatever it might be, on the phones, especially among the young people. The temptations are there all the time. We have to have the strength to resist. And James says, look, you need to practice resisting, resisting all the time. Take those actions. Don't Google that word. Don't have that television channel available on your television. You know, whatever it takes. Because it causes massive, massive destruction for your partners and for yourself. David learned the hard way. He couldn't resist and went into that place of repentance. But thank God, and through Jesus, we now have an even greater way of knowing that we can be forgiven for whatever it is that's caused us to ruin that soil, but to cultivate it with fresh, fresh amounts of humility. So God will cultivate the kingdom. There are signs of the kingdom being seen in everyday lives. And we know that real fruit will grow in the soil of humility. That when the culture of the kingdom will be created, is as we look to God and invest in that simple virtue and make it possible for God to do what is impossible for us, to produce the harvest that he longs for and that he will make possible. So let's, as we sit, sing those words. As Anita and musicians come, you're going to sing that simple chant through. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. He will lift you up. What an amazing promise that is.